Good morning. If it hadn't uh, been said before, I'm uh, grateful that you're here. My name's Lance, one of the pastors here. I often get the opportunity to consider the Bible with you, and so we're going to do that in just a moment. Uh, I want to follow up and to reinforce just how grateful we are for volunteers. Uh, we didn't want to put you on the spot. A lot of people who volunteer and serve so faithfully do so behind the scenes for a reason. And so between uh, the idea of putting you on the spot or making you give a speech this morning, although they would have been good speeches, I'm sure they would have been, uh, we decided to do so silently. I also want to mention something as well, not just only food in the back, but there is a, the cutest as a button, cute as a button, little, or buttons cute, I guess they are, cute as a button, little gift back there as well for you. Uh, I would make sure that, Cassidy, is there enough for any volunteer who thinks they should have one or their names on them or that kind of thing? I don't want to just have free-for-all for the gifts. I can see the greed in everybody's eyes. Anyway, go back and you'll figure it out. But go, uh, go in gratitude, knowing that we are grateful for you and all that you have done for us. It really does take a ton of people to make a Sunday morning go. For many of us, we enjoy a service like this and come in not realizing all that's gone into it ahead of time and is happening even right at this very moment. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Romans. This morning marks the start of a, a new book that we're going to be teaching through. Uh, we make it a practice as a church to take books of the Bible and spend time reading through them verse by verse and attempting to teach them consecutively the best that we can. So what we are going to do is we are going to start beginning this week and probably over the next year at least through into 2022, we are going to spend time together in the book of Romans. If you are not familiar with the book of Romans, I am excited for you. I'm delighted to get to introduce this book to you. If perhaps you're familiar with Romans, but you've never really spent time studying it, I'm, I'm excited doubly for you because there are so many things worth fine, going through with a fine-tooth comb in this particular book. What I want to do to start things off is I want to read the first seven verses. I'm going to pray for us. Then I want to explain the title or sort of tagline, the theme of what we believe is happening in Romans, and then give some context to this book as an introduction. I hope that what happens is that when we're done here this morning, that you begin to grow in excitement, that you have a thirst, a hunger to learn in this book, and that most of all, through the pages of this book, you'd have a growing hunger for God himself who displays his grace and his love toward sinners uh, in Romans. So why don't we look at the first seven verses, Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 7. I'd love for you to follow along. Romans 1.1 1, 1 says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I would love it if you would pause with me and pray as we start this book, as we've read these words, uh, that we not be asleep or not be uh, unattentive to what God might have for us. So let's pray. 
God, we're thankful for your words. We're thankful that though you are perfectly and utterly holy, that you have everything in control, you see all things simultaneously, that you are totally other from us, we thank you for your gift, for you condescending, for you drawing near and speaking. And I thank you especially especially for the the moments in Scripture where the gospel is most on display, good news for sinners like us. And I ask you, Father, would you send your Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see as we consider this book, dig ears for us, keep our hearts and our minds from distraction. We have brought a lot with us this morning. There is much going on, swirling around us. We have vocations and families and friends, physical, emotional, mental things that are straining on us. And I pray that you would give life, Spirit of God, to us as we study the Bible. Help us to rest to find joy together, that we would leave these places more encouraged, more alive, awake to you, Jesus, and to what you've done for us. Help me that I will at times stumble and bumble and am certainly inadequate to fully capture everything in this book, so please may my words be helpful to your church. I pray that we would not only understand, but there would be an application of this scripture to our lives. I thank you for everyone who's gathered. God, I pray your blessing on them, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't want to bury the lead. I'm going to make the argument that Romans has been the most influential letter penned in the history of the world. That when the Spirit of God moved the Apostle Paul to sit down and begin, as is customary in this day and age, start with his name, and then begin to write a letter that this has been, bar none, the most influential letter ever penned. And that got me thinking, well, what's number two, or what comes close? And I started to look through lists and see people's different opinions about the most important letters in history, and I was fascinated. I'm going to share a few of them with you this morning, but I also realized as I was going through this how little I know about history. You ever read about history and felt bad about yourself? That's how I felt reading this. But I'll tell you a few. The first letter written like in this fashion, an epistle with someone writing of concern or care to another person apparently shows up from a queen in around 500 BC. There are then letters down through the ages, including letters of scripture uh, that seem to have shown up as extremely important. One of them is around 580 when Britons who are under attack and under siege write a letter to the empire of Rome, the Roman Empire, begging for help. They say, please come help us, we're being invaded, we're being overrun, and they get left on unread. Nobody comes. Now, the reason this letter is so influential is not only because of the circumstances and the fact that Rome ignores them, but apparently in light of them ignoring them, those Britons hired mercenaries 
of Germanic descent who came in and were so good at their job that they took over the whole place, leading to the establishment of the English language as we know it. But I'm sure you knew that, right? I'm sure you knew. See, I read these things and I think, oh yeah, totally. I don't know where I was when I heard that, but I, never, I must have never heard it because it was news to me. I didn't realize this, but apparently in 1939, there was a letter that was kept very, very quiet, shrouded in secrecy, sent by Einstein to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, telling him about some scientific news that he had heard about. He described in detail in this letter about a kind of power that may be possible called atomic, and worse than that, that there was a nation, namely Germany, who was likely to be exploring this power and was probably seeking to make a weapon out of it. And it was in response to this particular letter that our government, or presidential administration, set in motion what would eventually result in the first atomic bombs. It's a pretty influential letter to tell your president about what was happening. Here's one on the same theme that I thought was intriguing. In 1982, now fast forward 43 years, and uh, I don't know if you followed the news much, but atomic bombs did end up being a big deal. And in 1982, we were in the midst of a Cold War. The proliferation of nuclear weapons led to many, many fears in the world that we would eventually have assured mutual self-destruction. Not only much political wrangling at the time, but all kinds of science fiction and captured the imagine, imaginations of entire generations of children that ended up having to duck and cover under their desks because that's how you survive a nuke. Generations of people understanding the impact of what spun out of Einstein's letter led eventually to a letter from a fifth grader in the United States named Samantha. Samantha sat down and penned a letter to share her concerns, and she addressed this letter asking to talk to the leader of the Soviet Union. It turns out that this letter was not only penned and completed, but delivered straight to the president of Soviet Russia at the time, who then invited her to come and to visit and to sit down and talk about the problems of the world. Though, of course, Samantha was later relieved of her peacekeeping duties and other people stepped in, it is widely believed that it was a le this letter from Samantha, fifth grader, helped to begin what eventually led to the dismantling of the Soviet Union and to many of the arms truces that exist and persist down to this day, potentially meaning that we have not had nuclear war. Now, that's a pretty influential letter. The courage from this young girl to sit down there. Now, I've not mentioned, and there's lists and lists and lists of many, many others. Some that kept wars from beginning, others that made wars start. Letters from Abraham Lincoln concerning slavery and pressing America forward, which were massively influential. A letter from a Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King Jr. Many of these have been imprinted in the minds and in the hearts and in the policies of our world. But none, absolutely none of them, share the importance, the significance of this letter of Paul to the church in Rome. 
This letter, penned sometime in the 40s, best dating is somewhere around 47 AD, has had more influence and shaped more minds and hearts, I believe, than any other letter ever penned. When Paul sits down and is moved to describe not only his, who he is as a person, we're going to get into that next week, we're going to really dive into the first 15 verses, when he sat down to write this letter, I don't know that he understood, much like many of the, the prophets of the Old Testament, I don't know that he knew what the Spirit of God was doing. But what the Spirit of God was doing was writing down in stark detail, with much illustration, with passion, with artistic ability, with soaring prose that would sometimes rival poetry, the Spirit of God was doing was setting in motion the most full, articulate, and impactful explanation of the gospel found anywhere. Perhaps one of the most common ways to introduce the importance of the book of Romans is through a series of dates in church history. I first came upon this way to introduce the book from the late R.C. Sproul. And since reading it from him, I've seen it in five or six other places. So I don't know who the first person was who thought, here's the best way to introduce Romans to look at church history. But here's how it came up with Sproul. Sproul writes that at a certain point in his Greek New Testament, at the first page of Romans, he wrote down three dates. Three dates at the top of the page. The first date was 386. 386 marks the conversion of Augustine of Hippo. Augustine was a man who was hungry for power, full of ambition, had become the letter writer, the chief scribe of the empire at this point, but also struggled with and continued to be haunted by what he considered to be an unbreakable pattern of sin, shame, and guilt in his life. And in 386, writing later, he tells this story, having sat outside a church building next to a wall underneath a tree. He sat there, undone, in a difficult spot with shame and with sin, and he writes this, The tumult of my heart took me out into the garden where no one could interfere with the burning struggle with myself in which I was engaged. I was twisting and turning in my chains. And it was then suddenly that I heard a voice from a nearby house chanting as if it might be a boy or a girl. The voice said, pick up and read, pick up and read, pick up and read. And so then I took the book of the apostle, the book of Romans, and I opened it. And in silence, I read the first passage on which my eye lit. As a pausing note, I wonder how many Christians have tried that since and not had as much success. Have you ever done that? Flip through the pages just to see. This is perhaps the first written instance of that. First passage in which my eyes lit, he says this, not in riots or drunken parties, not in eroticism and indecencies, not in strife and unravelry, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh and its lusts. This is Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. Augustine goes on to say, I neither wished nor needed to read any further. At once, with the last words of this sentence, it was as if a light of relief from all anxiety flooded into my heart, and all of the shadows of doubt in my soul were dispelled. It was this moment, 
reading some of this letter penned by Paul to the church at Rome, that Augustine was converted and began what was likely the most influential career as a theologian in the history of the church. The next date in the top of R.C. Sproul's Greek New Testament is 1515. It was in 1515 that young priest Martin Luther, whose task was to teach the Bible to would-be priests in seminary schools, had a very, very similar feeling of shame and guilt in being trapped. He had learned what it was to be religious, but found in himself a relenting selfishness, an unrelenting selfishness, an unrelenting sin that he never felt free of. And then, in order to teach it well, he took up the study of the book of Romans. Describing later his study with this letter, he says this, I labored diligently and anxiously as to understand Paul's word, especially the expression, the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God had blocked the way because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and he deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Although I was an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner. Therefore, I did not love a righteous and angry God, but rather hated and I murmured against him. But it was there in the study of Romans that I grasped that the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us by faith. And thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. I broke through. And as I had formerly hated the expression, the righteousness of God, I now began to regard it as my dearest and most comforting word. There's not a single one of us sitting here today that has not been drastically impacted by the way the Spirit of God moved in Martin Luther as a young man studying this letter. It quite literally changed the course of the church. So 386, 1515, and then the last date written atop the Greek New Testament for R.C. Sproul, 1738. It was in 1738 that a young, ambitious, religious, selfless missionary named John Wesley picked up his Bible and began reading. As he read and became more and more curious, he went to a study on this Bible. And he sat in the back and listened to a group who were going to study Romans together, and the topic or the thing that they chose to use as a study was a commentary written by Martin Luther on the book of Romans. Same Martin Luther who in 1515 finds life, says that he felt to be reborn, had written extensively on Romans, and there's a group studying that and considering the book from that perspective, and John Wesley says it was about a quarter before nine in the morning. While Luther was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, that I felt my own heart to be strangely warmed. He goes on to speak in glowing terms about the way that this letter opened his life and his heart and his mind, that for a long time, when reading the Bible, Wesley had felt suspicious of his own faith. 
He wondered if perhaps he had some of the mechanics, some of the building blocks, but had really been nearly dead spiritually going through the motions. And what changed for him, what transferred, what transported him was understanding the message of God through the Spirit of God in Romans. Those are three figures in church history. Three dates, three examples of the way that our world has been shifted, especially the Christian world has been shifted by understanding this book. I dare not even begin to contemplate or count the number of non-famous, the number who in the quietness of a room before bed, the number who sitting with cotton candy face at VBS, the number who sitting listening diligently to a grandparent sharing the gospel, the number who looking up a verse because a clown-haired man on the TV said to go to it. I know John 3.16 is the normal one, but sometimes they use Romans verses, so just allow me the creative license. I dare not count the number of people who have been drawn to Jesus and found life in him because of the clarity and the power of this book. It is nearly unthinkable. What God has given us in Romans is an unspeakable gift. You could ask the question, why this letter? Why is this letter so influential? I'm going to give you a few reasons, at least off the top of my head. My hope is, though, that the reason we find it so influential is that as we study it through the next number of months, it becomes inescapable, and it's so obvious why it is influential. Give me, let me give you some reasons at the outset. One of the reasons Romans is so influential, of course, is because I believe it is the greatest work from the greatest missionaries. So the fact that Paul wrote it, I think, is influential, and it is massive. It is important. It's going to be especially important because of Paul's unique place and his ability to bridge the gap between the Jewish world and the non-Jewish world of his day. We're going to get into this as we discuss Paul next week. But the fact that Paul wrote it, and it was his greatest work, makes it influential and worthy of study. It's like asking, well, what was da Vinci's greatest one? Or what was the Beatles' best song? Or what was the... You get the idea. A second reason this letter is so influential and so important is because of the church that it was written to. Rome at this time had transferred fully into its place as an empire. It was within this generation or two that Rome's reach would extend all the way to conquering what was essentially now England. And Rome, as the seat of this particular place, was by far the most influential city in the world. Came to have a nickname. I don't speak Latin, but I'll try. Caput Mundi. Rome was known as the capital of the world. The seat of emperors. The seat of the most expansive, complex, and rich economy in the world the seat of the most expansive and powerful army probably in the history of the world. 
The interesting thing about Rome is that Paul is writing to a church that he did not plant, which is pretty rare for New Testament things. Paul's writing, and perhaps some of this comes out in the way that he writes, he's writing to a people he hasn't met yet. He's introducing both himself and his message in a way that is completely and utterly fresh. Now, this leaves a whole bunch of questions, something that is, ex- is very delightful to me. How did the church in Rome get started? So many of the churches of the New Testament, we have the exact moment. Acts walks through, it tells us, well, he went in and he preached against this, and then the people came together and the thing got launched. We have no record whatsoever of the missionaries, the faithful Christians, or the martyrs that planted the seeds of the church in Rome. It's just there. So the fact that this letter is written not only by Paul but to Rome makes it extremely unique and valuable. Third, why is this letter so influential? And I would just say because it is thick. The beefiness, the general beefiness of this letter makes it stand apart in anything else that Paul has written. Now, apart from Luke, who is verbose and careful as a former physician, and the Gospels, which attempted to capture the entirety of Jesus' life and written really for a different purpose, Romans is a little bit unique in the sense that from Paul's pen, he he writes so deeply about one subject, the gospel. Now, he writes at length to other churches, but it's clear that he writes and has to use a lot of words because there are particular conflicts, particular heresies, particular problems, but none of that is here. This is just Paul going off for 16 chapters on the gospel the implications of who God is and His righteousness, the implications of a fallen world and us and our sin, the implications of what Jesus accomplished and how we can find free grace in Him, the implications for the Christian life once we've found Jesus. Why do we struggle with sin so much still? The implications for Jewish people who had rejected the the Messiah who had come. Not only the implications for Jewish people, but the future of Jewish people, and in fact, the future of the whole world is in view. In Paul's writing. It is the sturdiest, lengthiest description of the gospel found anywhere. And perhaps finally, one of the reasons this letter has been so influential is because it contains so many verses of scripture that are easy to understand, easy to share, and have changed so many's lives. I'll go through just a few of them. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, which I'm going to argue is really the theme of the entire book. We have this verse, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. How many have been influenced and changed because of a presentation of Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Followed closely behind, anybody have a Romans road experience when you were a kid? Anybody been trained in having to share this or know how to do this? This was my childhood for a long time. Followed closely behind Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How is this possible? How do we get a free gift of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Well, Romans 5.8 tells us, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The result of all of this gospel, I could keep going and going and going, the result of all of this gospel is that those who find Christ 
find freedom, lightness, the words that Augustine used, the words that Wesley used, the words that Luther used, freedom, life, breakthrough. Summarized in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My guess is that I haven't even hit all of your favorite verses just from Romans. In fact, I don't think I've hit your favorite verse in Romans chapter 8, because the 28th verse, of course, is that we know that those who love God and for those who love him, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This book makes up in many ways the heart language of the church. These are the truths, the phrases we exchange, the building blocks that we stand upon. This articulate, forceful, pleading, sweeping presentation of the gospel brings life. And where this gospel is presented, anywhere in the world, especially here where it is presented, there is power. That's what God says about it himself. There is power. And so we plan, we plan to spend the next, well, it'll be a while. <laughs> we plan to spend a little while in Romans together as a church. And here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that God would use this book Maybe 2021 or 2022 is not going to be written down and Sproul passed away, sadly. So it's not going to be written there. It's not going to be written down in someone's Bible in the future, perhaps. But I'm praying that in our own way, with the uniqueness of the Spirit of God, that we would have an awakening to the grace of God in just as deep a way. That we could be freed from going through the motions Maybe like Wesley, we've been doing a lot of things right. But perhaps the songs that we sing would be a little, sweet, a little sweeter to us and we'd mean it more. Maybe our prayers would have depth and words given to us from this book. I pray that over the next number of months as we study this book, that God would gather into our midst people who are struggling and dying under the weight of their sin and that they would be awakened to the gospel. I believe that this can happen. If you're a Christian, you should study this book. I told this story before, but one time I got to visit Kauai, and I was thinking about whether I should do a helicopter ride or not, and the author of this little travel book said, going to Kauai and not doing a helicopter ride would be like going to the Sistine Chapel and never looking up. In other words, you'd, you'd go right to the place and then just not behold the beauty. You just think to yourself, well, you just missed it. And I've always said I feel that about Romans. I think Luther felt the same way. Luther's advice to any serious Christian was that they should begin immediately memorizing the entirety of the book of Romans. Just memorize the whole thing. And here's my hope and my desire, really the, the feeling, the privilege, the honor to even teach through this book. If you're a Christian but you do not understand nor cherish nor study nor try to squeeze everything you can out of Romans. It's like you've been going to the Sistine Chapel, but never, ever, ever looking up. It's a masterpiece. Let's pray together that God's Spirit wakens us to it. God, would you, through these words and these pages, 
bring us a new awakening in the same way. You are the same God, same gospel, same spirit that Augustine had. Same as Luther, same as Wesley. You desire to draw people to yourself. And I ask that in these coming months, for the most dull among us, for those of us who have forgotten until still, we, we tell our salvation story in, in old terms of back then, God, make us new through your word in Romans. For those of us who are struggling, doubting, perhaps growing in bitterness or sadness toward you or others, would you soften us, mold us, make us new through the study of this book? And God, I pray that our longing and desire, understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf would be deepened. God, will you please save the lost? Help us to think about our neighbors as we study the gospel. Help us to invite them. I pray for skeptics and doubters and scoffers, for those who are struggling with sin and with shame, that they would be gathered with us to hear life-giving to hear powerful gospel truth from this book. We commit ourselves to this in Jesus' name. Amen.